Hey, today we've got two segments for you. The first segment is on eight uses for hydrogen peroxide, and the second segment is on helm radio. Welcome to Practical Prepping. Today is February 15th, 2024, and this is episode 452. This is the prepping podcast with no bunkers, no zombies, and no alien invasions. Just practical prepping, where we believe that stuff happens, so we need to stay prepared. And we're here to help you get prepared. I'm Krista. And I'm Mark. And today, as I said, we'll be talking about eight uses for hydrogen peroxide And we'll take a deep dive into two of those uses. In the second segment on ham radio, we want to clear up some of the misconceptions around ham radio. Now, if you'd like the expanded notes for today's episode, go to practicalprepping.info forward slash 452. We had a software issue that prevented some who may have requested the free getting started in prepping PDF. That software issue has been corrected. But if you have not received the PDF, drop us an email with PDF in the subject line, and we'll get that out to you. And don't forget our question of the month. Have you had resistance from family about prepping? And if so, how did you handle that? Go to our practicalprepping.info website and click on Leave Us a Message. We need your answer by February 24th, 2024. All right, let's talk about Hydrogen peroxide. Now, you know it can be a very valuable item in a prepper's toolkit due to its versatility, and Krista and I keep an amount of that, and we want to talk about eight uses for that tonight. Now, when using hydrogen peroxide for prepper purposes, it's important to ensure that you have the appropriate concentration. That's usually 3% food-grade hydrogen peroxide and handle it safely according to the instructions on the label. Additionally, it should be stored in a cool, dark place away from children and pets. And I say the 3% food grade because it can be purchased in much higher concentrations. Professional hairstylists and salons can purchase it in a much, much higher concentration. So we want to be sure that we're using 3%. And if you're storing the much higher, then you need to do some dilution before you use the information that we're doing today. Yes, generally the 3% food grade is what you're going to find on the shelves of the grocery store and the drugstore. And like Mark said, those higher concentrations, the 5s and 6%, that's usually a salon-only kind of a purchase, although they can sell it to the public. Exactly. Even though it's inexpensive, be very careful about the percentage you're using because that can have an effect on how you use it and how much you'd have to dilute to use it. Exactly. Now let's talk about those eight uses for hydrogen peroxide. One of these falls into your favorite category. Water! Yeah, it can be used for water purification. Now remember, anytime we're going to purify our water, We want to filter that or pre-filter it to get the chunks out. Yeah, as much sediment and debris out as possible. Exactly. So this is a way that you can purify water. After you have strained it. After you have strained it. Mm -hmm. Strained is probably a better word, but you want to get the chunks out. Yeah, even pouring it through a coffee filter would be a smart way to do it. Oh, absolutely. Now, you just add a few drops of food-grade hydrogen peroxide 
of the 3% to the untreated water to kill the bacteria. And we're going to take a deep dive into water purification. And we're going to take a deep dive into first aid because it can also be used in first aid and in wound disinfection. And this is really primarily in a survival scenario that we're talking about. And it can serve as an antiseptic for minor scrapes and cuts and helping to prevent infection and promote the healing. Particularly in, an, like you said, an emergency or a crisis situation where you may be out or away from home or power's out or you're in a foreign place and you've got some of this product, you mm-hmm. know, in your medical bag. And it is a last resort, but certainly the first one you'd want to pick up if you needed some sort of wound disinfection. Yeah, there is some controversy about using it for wound care, but we're going to address that as we take a deep dive into that in a few minutes. It can also be used for oral hygiene. You can dilute the hydrogen peroxide and use it as a mouthwash to kill bacteria and prevent oral infections when the oral hygiene products are not available. Now, I know we're talking about emergencies and crises and catastrophes, Mm -hmm. but let me just interject right quickly that you can use this in everyday use as well. I mean, you can use hydrogen peroxide in your everyday hygiene Mm -hmm. process. But we're kind of trying to address this in terms of we're in crisis. What can we turn to that's going to be safe to use? And so I have had family members that have used diluted hydrogen peroxide just on a daily type basis for their mouthwash. And I've known of it and I've actually done this and use it as a tooth whitener. And when I would get into the shower, I would put one capful of 3% into my mouth straight. And while I showered, I just swished it around my teeth, just all around my teeth and Hmm. kept it moving in there and used it as a tooth whitener. And it actually does work. And it's probably also good to use post-surgical. If you've had a tooth extraction or a root canal Mm -hmm. or something like that, you may be advised to rinse with either warm salt water or hydrogen peroxide diluted. Right. You can also use it to sterilize medical equipment. That's what the doctors do. Or either they put it in the autoclave, but if you sure. need to sterilize larger pieces or... In emergency in, situations. In emergency situations, yeah. if right. we're going to have to perform ditch medicine and we need to cut something, we ditch need to... Ditch medicine. <laughs> I love that. But it's true. Like medical equipment, you're talking about... Uh, scalpels and tweezers and all sorts of tools that may be used for some sort of medical purpose. Yeah, if you're going to have to lance a ball, then you're going to need a sharp knife and you're going to need to sterilize it. Or if you need to do a trach, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, we don't want to go to explaining how to do a trach. But I would certainly want to know that that equipment had had some hydrogen peroxide on it. Exactly, exactly. And what we're talking about there is opening a hole in the throat to be able to Mm -hmm. breathe. So, yeah. Uh, we're not going to explain that. You've done it. I know you. That's uh. one of those things that we're just going to let that one ride and say that you can sterilize medical equipment. Next up, you can use it for just basic hygiene and sanitation, particularly in these crisis situations that you might find yourself in. Hydrogen peroxide can be used as a general purpose cleaning agent. You can disinfect surfaces with it, countertops, utensils, eating utensils, plates, other items to maintain the top hygiene and top sanitation standards when other cleaners may not be available to you. Yeah, during the COVID lockdowns, folks were using it to spray onto counters and in the bathrooms, the toilets, the showers, any place where the doorknobs, the light switches, you know, any think of any place where a hand might go or other body parts, you know, you're going to want to have that clean. Mm -hmm. 
And it wouldn't be a bad idea right now to use some of this for the flu. You know, the, as much flu is going around. I think I'll get me a spray bottle and just everybody I approach tomorrow, <laughs> I'll just squirt. Well, I saw a new word online the other day, and it's a, a combination of what's going on around here in North Alabama. And that's they call it flumonia mm-hmm. because it's like a flu leads to pneumonia for some people. And that's terrible. And so definitely want to keep those little bad germs at a complete minimum. And hydrogen peroxide is a great inexpensive way to do that. And you can use it for food decontamination. And what you do is you make a diluted solution and you use it to wash fruits and vegetables to remove bacteria or mold or pesticides. And that will extend their shelf life in survival situations. Yes, I've known of folks that have bought their food from the farmer's market or the grocery store. And they've got a specially clean, sanitized container that they can put. It's, I call it a 50-50 mix, 50% water, 50% hydrogen peroxide. And you just let your berries and strawberries and blueberries and any fruit that you would eat, the skin and everything, let it soak in there for, I'd say, about 10 minutes usually. Mm-hmm. And it's astonishing what you see come off. A lot of times the wax off of the apple comes off in that, which is great, you know, because you want that food as clean as you can possibly get it. Take it back out of the solution, give it another good clean water rinse, and you're good to go. Yeah, I'm going to the grocery store once in a while. Not that I go that often, but when I go and I pick out some fruit, for example, apples is one, pears is one that I really like, and I might be picking up tomatoes. And I'm thinking, what do you do when you do that? You pick it up and look at it, right? Mm-hmm, sure. And if you don't like that one, you put it back. Right. So when I'm picking out fruit and I'm looking at it, I'm wondering how many hands have touched this? Yeah. And I really do need to clean that when I get home. Yeah. I mean. Now, to be honest, sometimes yeah. it gets wiped off on my pants leg and I just go <laughs> on and bite into it or cut it up with a knife. You have that but, good immune system. Yes. But <laughs> a better way would be to clean that a little bit with the food decontamination. Now, foot care. We need to take care of our feet and they will take care of us. Mm -hmm. And when we're in situations where that care is essential, hydrogen peroxide can be used to disinfect and treat minor foot issues. You know, like fungus, Mm -hmm. bacteria, even just the discomfort of the dry, scaly skin. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the hydrogen peroxide can be very moisturizing for that. And if you've been standing around too long and you got mold and mildew on your feet, it's good for mold and mildew control. Uh, honestly, it does work very well to control mold and mildew growth. And you can use it in a shelter situation or you can use it in storage areas by spraying it on those affected surfaces and letting it dry. And maybe hopefully have good ventilation to help dry out whatever. The, usually those are high humid areas, mm-hmm. bathrooms, kitchens, things yeah. like that. But you can keep a spray bottle there and just spray it in the corners and crevices in the shower and the bathtub. And mm-hmm. it helps to control that. Very cool. All right, let's take a deep dive into number one. And that is purifying unfiltered water. With hydrogen peroxide. You know, it's kind of a simple process, but it is important to use the correct concentration of hydrogen peroxide. We might even just call it HP from here on out, and to follow very good safety guidelines. So we're going to give you a step-by-step guide right now. As you mentioned, select the right concentration. You want to be sure that you're using 3%. As we talked about, if you bought 6%, you could cut that 50-50 and that becomes 3% hydrogen peroxide. Right. 
but for our water filtration purposes, we want to use that 3% because this concentration is safe for water purification and you can commonly get it in stores. So you want to calculate the amount that you need. So the recommended dosage of hydrogen peroxide to water purification is approximately one teaspoon per gallon of water. So for you on the metric system, that would be about four milliliters of hydrogen peroxide per, I don't know how many liters is in a gallon. 3.8 something. 3.8. Okay. Y'all got me on that. So calculate the amount you need based on the volume of water that you intend to purify. Yeah. So you've got to up your numbers. If Mm -hmm. you're doing four gallons, five gallons, you just figure out or calculate the amount that you need. And then you mix it into the water that needs to be purified. And you can do that, you know, measure it out with a syringe or with a measuring spoon and just add it to the unfiltered water that needs to be purified and shake it up or stir it. James Bond wanted his shaken, not stirred. I'm not sure he was talking about HP and water, though. Oh, okay. Pretty much not. But he preferred shaken over stir. Definitely you want to stir or shake the water to get it fully mixed in. Now, the next steps are very important. You're not ready to consume or make use of that water just yet. You have to wait. You have to let that mixture sit for approximately 30 minutes. It takes some time for hydrogen peroxide to act upon the impurities in the water in order to neutralize them. Just as it does if you're using bleach to purify the water. It's different percentages, different number of drops, but you have to let it Mm -hmm. sit. It's a timed process. Now, here's what you want to do on the next step, and that is to check for bubbles. So after that 30-minute waiting period, check for the presence of bubbles in the water or at the surface of the water because Bubbles indicate that the hydrogen peroxide is still present and actively working to disinfect that water. So if you still see bubbles, we're going to tell you to wait a little bit longer. You want those bubbles to dissipate completely because that's the indication that the HP has fully decomposed and now the water is safe to drink. And the advantage to using hydrogen peroxide, and you just said it, it has decomposed because it's made of what? Hydrogen Hydrogen and and oxygen. oxygen. So it becomes part of the water. Yeah, because water is H2O. Right. It dissipates within there and you don't have the taste like you do with bleach if you're purifying water with bleach. Exactly. There's less taste involved here than if you are using bleach. And then you're ready to use it. You can use the purified water for whatever you need to do. It's safe to drink. You can use it for drinking, cooking, Any other purposes requiring clean water? Mm -hmm, Exactly. Okay, so let's deep dive now into the second one we wanted to talk about, and that is using hydrogen peroxide for wound care disinfection. Now, it can be considered controversial in some contexts. We're really talking about minor wounds to some degree here, and we're also talking about larger wounds if it's in what's commonly called SHTF situation. Well, I think that's what we're dealing with here on this particular Mm -hmm. segment is we're talking about an emergency out of the ordinary type situation here. We're not suggesting that you use wound disinfection, hydrogen peroxide every time for an everyday purpose. This is more of an emergency. I've got nothing else I can, you know, rely on. And this is all I have 
this is how you would use it. And the three controversial issues that we're going to talk about here is one, its effectiveness. Now, there are some studies that suggest that hydrogen peroxide may not be the most effective antiseptic for wound cleaning. Some studies say that there can be some tissue damage. Now, hydrogen peroxide can be cytotoxic, which means it's toxic to cells at higher concentrations or if used over prolonged periods. Uh This is where we can use it once in a while. Yeah, but not like on a chronic. Not using it every day to, you know, after surgical procedures or something like that. Right, right. There are other studies or evidence shows that there can be some delayed healing when using the hydrogen peroxide because it disrupts the normal healing process. But again, we're talking about emergency situations. We're talking about you can't run down to the corner dock in a box Mm -hmm. and we're on our own we're being our own first responders we're our own we're our own battlefield medic medic (laughs) we're going to do some ditch medicine ditch medicine exactly now when it comes to first aid and wound disinfection we want to clean that wound if you can clean it with mild soap and water do that use a clean sterile cloth or gauze pad to remove any dirt or debris But avoid scrubbing the wound too vigorously, as this can cause further damage. But don't be afraid to use it to clean that wound if you need it. Yeah, I mean, try to be as thorough as possible and yet not damaging to the skin. So then you're going to want to apply the hydrogen peroxide. You'll want to pour a small amount directly onto the wound. You may see some effervescence, that bubbling action, and that indicates that the hydrogen peroxide is active and it's working to clean that wound by killing bacteria and removing some additional debris. So allow that hydrogen peroxide to bubble for a few minutes. Yeah, when I've done this on myself, I've poured it on, let it bubble, and then when it seemed like it was quitting the bubbling actively, I would wipe that off or wash it off and pour more hydrogen peroxide in there and let it do it again. Oh, okay. And just do that two or three times to clean that out. Your doctor might not like that idea, but it can be done and it can heal things up. But after that, you want to rinse the wound. And use clean water. You can use that water that you just purified mm-hmm. and you can clean it. If it's this ready, way. sure. Yep. And you can remove any of the remaining hydrogen peroxide and hopefully you've already gotten the debris out, but just double check it again there. And use that gentle stream of water and it could come from the faucet. If you have clean water available in your faucet, if not, you've had to purify it, put it into a cup or a glass or something and Pour it very slowly across that wound. Or if you're lucky enough to have just a bottled water, you know, that's never been opened, that would would work. work. That's great. Mm -hmm. But use that stream or gentle stream of clean water to, to irrigate that wound. And then the next step is you want to dry that wound. So be very careful. You want to pat gently the wound dry with a clean cloth or a sterile gauze pad. Don't do any rubbing because that can irritate the skin and actually hurt the healing process. Now, after you get it dry, you really want to apply an antiseptic ointment. Just apply a thin layer of that ointment to the wound to help prevent further infection and promote the healing. And use a clean applicator to do that. Honestly, I've done it with my finger. Not the best idea. Q-tip is a great way to go. 
uh, small wounds. I've put it on there, just put a drop on there or a little daub and then put a Band-Aid over it, something like that. But that antiseptic ointment really does promote the healing of the wound. You know, I just thought of something. This may be a great time to have two or three little popsicle sticks, plain popsicle sticks, and you can use that as like a little paddle. Little applicator. Like a little clean thing to put, and they're very inexpensive. You buy a hundred of them for nothing at the mm-hmm. dollar store. That might be something we're going to add to our first aid kit just because that could be a great sterile applicator. Well, it may not be sterile, but it's a lot cleaner than your fingers. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, we can dip it in the hydrogen peroxide we sure for a few can. minutes. Now, the next thing you want to do after you have applied that ointment is to cover that wound. And that, that can be optional. You may have to make a judgment call on what's going to be best. Because of the size and the location of the wound, you may choose to cover it with a sterile gauze pad or an adhesive bandage to protect it from further contamination. And change that dressing as needed to keep that wound clean and dry. And also changing that dressing helps you put eyes on it to see how mm-hmm. it's progressing because we need to monitor it for the infection for sure we don't want to put that dressing on there and take it off five days later and find that it's becoming infected yeah we need to address that quick fast and in a hurry keep an eye on it watch for redness or swelling or even if it's warm yeah i've actually had an infection in Mm -hmm. my skin and it felt like there was a little concentrated fever right there yeah and watch out also for drainage and if it doesn't heal properly Seek medical care if there is medical care available for that. And one thing just to remind you that hydrogen peroxide is only suitable for disinfecting minor wounds, and it should not be used for deep or puncture wounds. shouldn't be used on burns or serious injuries. And the disclaimer here is always seek medical attention for those, but These are some tips that we've given you today that can be used if there is no medical services available. This is ditch medicine. Well, hydrogen peroxide is certainly more useful than it's not. Let's put it that way. And it can be very, very useful in the home. And I know that a lot of folks will use a diluted amount. They'll use a 50-50 in a spray bottle just for their household cleaning Mm -hmm. with great results. And what we also like about it, it leaves no scent or unpleasant smell behind, Mm -hmm. which is great, too. So, you know, let's hear it for hydrogen peroxide because it can be quite the little trusty soldier out there when you need him. And it's good to have in the cabinet or in the bug out bag. Absolutely. Hey, do you ever have one of those days where you get started and you just run out of energy? Well, I had one today. So I got up and I went by the refrigerator and I grabbed a Magic Mind out of there. I'd forgotten to drink it earlier this morning. And I grabbed that little Magic Mind energy shot and I gulped that thing down. And in just a little while, my energy was back, my motivation was back, and I was ready to go. I don't understand exactly how it works, but let me just tell you, it works. Go to the website, click on Magic Mind on the banner on the front page, or either on the link on the Friends and Affiliate page, and check it out. Uh, Get a subscription to that. They offer a money-back guarantee, so you risk nothing. And if it doesn't work for you like it does for me, you can get all your money back just simply by dropping them an email. So let me encourage you to check out Magic Mind. Those energy shots really are amazing. Now for our Communications Corner segment. 
as you might imagine, I go through a lot of prepper forums, prepper groups, and I do a lot of reading in those groups, including some radio prepper groups. And one of the things that I keep seeing in there is the concern that so many people have about ham radio licensing and some of the objections to it. Now, one of the first objections that I see on these forums is quite often, you don't need a license in an emergency. And that's their reason for not wanting to get a license. Well, that may be true in that the FCC regulations say that anyone can transmit on any frequency in the event of a life or death emergency. And we've seen that when we have had police officers injured on the side of the road, and we have seen people pick up the radio in their car and talk on a police frequency, which is normally frowned upon, but in this situation, it is a life or death emergency. But now, life or death emergency doesn't include flat tires, breakdowns, and such things as that. It must be a life or death emergency. And yes, the FCC says that anyone can transmit on any frequency in the event of a life or death emergency. Second thing that I see is there won't be any license enforcement after SHTF. Well, not all SHTF events are the same. It's likely true in a total collapse. The odds are that the FCC will not be out looking for unlicensed radio operators, but will be involved in other efforts if they still exist. But it's also false in an SHTF, such as a major natural disaster, unless there is life or death situation. There could still be enforcement of the regulations in a non-life-threatening situation, such as after a hurricane or after a tornado or any of the other kinds of SHTF events that we could conceive of that don't create a total collapse. One that I always chuckle about is the statement that a ham radio license puts you in a government database along with your address. Well, that's true. But so does having a driver's license or buying a vehicle tag or having a social security number or filing your taxes or filing a homestead exemption on your house. All of those put you into governmental databases along with your address. And some of those are publicly available. The next one I hear is, I'll just keep it in case I need it after SHTF. Well, it's doubtful that many people will be able to make it operate after an SHTF. Ham radio is not a turn it on and pick a channel radio system. It uses frequencies rather than channels. You have to know where to go. You have to know how to operate it. Now, for local communications, these individual frequencies must be plugged into the radio with the repeater frequencies, which there's an offset. So your radio is using two separate frequencies. They both have to be programmed in. And you have to have the PL tones that are programmed in in order for the repeater to work. And these frequencies need to be pre-programmed in order to use the radio in short order. And it's not very intuitive at least until you learn what you're doing. Once you learn what you're doing, 
it's fairly intuitive to program other radios. But if you've just bought it and thrown it over in the corner, in the closet, or in the bag in case you need it, you're going to have a paperweight. Now, for long-distance communications, and that requires either Internet-assisted systems such as Echolink, DMR, IRLP, Internet Radio Linking Project, or DSTAR, which actually stands for Digital Smart Technologies for Amateur Radio. These are digital systems that actually use the Internet to assist them in making long-distance communication. Now, that's not going to be an option if we have a full-blown grid-down situations where they take out all the cell service, they take out the Internet, any of that type thing, then we write that off. So that leaves us with the HF bands or the high-frequency bands. Now, the way that these work is they bounce off of the ionosphere under the right conditions, and different bands are optimal at different times. And these frequencies are not pre-programmed, and you have to fine-tune them for good contact. And that's something that is only learned by practice. And the only way to become proficient with ham radio is to practice. And the only way to legally practice is to get a license. Now, ham radio is a great hobby. There's something there for everyone. One of the things that Krista and I noticed at the Ham Fest in Huntsville, Alabama, back in August, I think it was, is how many of the young people in there are using various digital modes. One group of guys, and actually one of these had his extra class at 14, and the other one was 19 and had his extra class, and they were set up where they were live-streaming slow-scan TV across ham radio. And so they were letting people see what was going on at the Huntsville Ham Fest. These young guys are getting into all kinds of digital modes, and it's really exciting to see what they're doing. Realize that ham radio is a valuable resource when all other communications are down. Now, ham radio does require a license. It's easy to get. It takes a little bit of study for the technician license. It takes a little more study for the general class license. And it takes a whole lot of study for the amateur extra class license. But it's worth it. The testing usually costs about $15. And if you study up and you pass the tech, they'll offer you to take the general. And you can take it the same day at no charge. And I actually saw one time a man who took all three tests and passed all three tests in the same day. Now, I will say that he had a lot of brain power. He was an anesthesiologist, and he was good at memorization. But now that test cost $15, and the license now costs $35 for 10 years. Think about that now. What else can you get for $3.50 per year and have a whole lot of fun doing it? When it comes to equipment, you can buy it from reasonable to whatever you want to spend, and I will be glad to help. There are others in the private practical prepping face group that will be glad to help. I know there's at least two other, if not three other, extra class ham radio operators in there, and we'll be glad to help you any way that we possibly can. 
But if you're one of these that has bought the radio and said, I need to address my communication, so I have this radio, I'm ready. Just be prepared not to be able to communicate if the balloon goes up. You need to know how to do it. You need to practice it. And to do that, it takes a license. Now, we want to tell you that today's cup of coffee comes from our buddy Jim. Jim, we really do appreciate it. Sure do. It's been delicious. It had a little pecan flavor in it, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've been sipping on it during the recording of this podcast. (laughs) And if you receive value from the podcast, would you help us by giving back a little? First, you can buy us a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. like Jim did. Thank you, Jim. Second, you can start your Amazon shopping from our website. Now, it costs you nothing extra. But it pays us a small commission on qualifying purchases. And you'll find the links to both of those at practicalprepping.info. And both of those help us out, and we really do appreciate it. And as Krista always says, Stuff happens. Stay prepared. And we'll see you next time.